I don't know anyone who does not love a comeback story. Um, never met anybody who's like, yeah, no, that's, that's totally boring. Uh, whether it was Michael Jordan returning from an ill-advised baseball career to win a couple more rings with the Bulls, or former Chief Safety Eric Berry missing an entire year to go through chemo treatments, fighting cancer, to only come back the next year and be named the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, maybe you care nothing about sports, right? So maybe for you it was Harry Potter realizing that he was a horcrux and sacrificing his life only, well, you, you've had enough time by now, only, listen, two things. The books have been out forever, the movies as well. If you don't know about it by now, it's your fault, okay? Hashtag spoiler alerts to come. So there may be a few more, I don't know. If you don't know some of these things, I have to be real honest with you, at this point, I don't care. So, if, for you, it was Harry Potter realizing he was a horcrux only to sacrifice his life, then to not really die and come back and finally defeat Voldemort once for all, or maybe for you it's something like Harper Lee publishing her first book in 55 years since releasing To Kill a Mockingbird. Right? I don't know anyone who doesn't love a good comeback story. Today, if Tiger Woods somehow wins the Masters, which if you're wondering, doesn't look like he's going to do at this point. But if he somehow works some weird magic and other people fall and he does that, people are going to celebrate that. That's all you're going to hear about in the sports world, at least for weeks. And it'll even be on mainstream news as well because Tiger Woods is that big of a name. But people love a comeback story. It's one of the things about human nature that we just can't get enough of. We love to pile on people when they fall. There's something weird about us that we love that. But we also love to celebrate it as they come back from that. I'm here to argue today that in history, there is no greater comeback story than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in history, there is no greater comeback story to this date than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ's resurrection was promised long before it ever took place. We see in Hosea chapter 6, 1 through 2, where it tells us, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us that we may live in His presence. Now, this is the prophet Hosea talking to the nations of Israel. And the reason I say nations is because this is a really weird time for Israel. They're split into two kingdoms. There's Judah. There's Israel. They're all under siege from Assyria. And it's just not a very comfortable time in their history. And they're in opposition to God right now. They've broken the covenant. Hosea even tells them at one point in his, in the, his book, we have broken the heart of God. We have broken the heart of God. And so there's this just distinct opposition between the two. And so chapter 6 is a call to repentance. Hosea is trying to bring the people back. And he's letting them know, listen, if we, if we confess to our sins, if, if we come before God humbly and say, we know that we screwed up, we know that we need to fix this, we know it's on us, that God is going to fix things. He even uses the statement, uh, after two days. That's kind of like a statement back then, like after a while, in a little bit, like, you know, after some time, God's going to fix this. And they have a history to back this up. Hosea's like, look at all the other times. We screwed up, but then we came back, and, and it, maybe it took just a little bit for God to kind of forgive us and for his anger to subside a little bit, but eventually we found ourselves back in right, right relationship with him. And so, hey, after a little while, everything will be good. But then he drops a bomb on them, and it's something that they're not ready for, something that they don't understand. It's for a future Israel. He comes out and he says, 
But after three days, he's going to revive us to a place that we might actually live again in his presence. He's talking about the resurrection of the Messiah. Now, they don't quite know that yet. They don't quite know that yet, but he's talking about the resurrection of the Messiah and all the good things that are to come. The thing about the resurrection is that Christ knew that in order for him to bring life through the resurrection, that he would first have to be destroyed. In Matthew 16, 21 through 23, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this was like the first time that Christ was really clear about what was going to happen. He had mentioned a couple times that you can destroy the temple, but in three days it will be rebuilt. And he was talking about the same thing, but it wasn't just plain out there black and white. And so he, he's preparing his disciples for what's about to happen to, the, to him. And they don't like it. Peter responds, he brings them aside. Can you imagine somebody like coming up to Jesus and be like, come here, right? Grabs his arm, brings him over here. You can't say this. That can't happen. Do you know what you're talking about? Right, so Peter goes on to say, never, Lord. He took him aside to rebuke him, to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Because it's like one of these things where you're looking and you're like, you know, sometimes we get a little off kilter, and I think sometimes we rebuke Jesus. Right, sometimes we look at Jesus and we're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Do you understand what that did to me? Do you know how bad that was for me? This can't happen. That's kind of what Peter's doing. Peter's like, hey, you can't die. Like We've given our whole lives to you. you. This can't happen right now. Only for Jesus to respond, get behind me, Satan. Like, Can you imagine saying something to Jesus and Jesus looking at you and calling you Satan? Like that would pierce to the core. That'd be one of those things where it just like takes the wind out of you and all of a sudden you're breathing and then you're not for a second. You're just like, is my face good too? (laughs) Who, me? Like, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't even have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You're just worried about yourself, Peter. I'm talking about the things of God here. And as I already said, this is the clearest that Christ has made it. Part of it is preparing his disciples for what's to come. Part of it, I think, is Christ understanding what prophecy has said, knowing that when he's about to go and offer himself as a sacrifice, that this is what has to happen. So he's just kind of laying it out there for them to to really wrap their heads around. For Christ to restore us in a place where we could actually live in the presence of God once again, he had to be murdered. He had to be beaten. He had to be spit upon. He had to be whipped. He had to have all these things happen to him so that on the third day, he might raise. Now, forgiveness was won by the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus, and as his blood flowed, as that blood was spilled, it covered those sins. It brought about forgiveness for us. A forgiveness, by the way, to a degree that had not yet in history been accomplished yet yet it's christ's resurrection that offers us the possibility at a brand new life at a chance to live in the presence with god and so in no way today am i telling you that 
the crucifixion is not as important as the resurrection. But I will tell you this, that they are at least, at least on equal footing. They are at least on equal footing. And resurrection, quite frankly, does not get enough love from anyone in the Christian world. Right? We have that one day, we have Easter, we talk about it and we talk about what a great thing it was and what it means for us. But outside of Easter, how often do you hear about this? And that, I'm, hey, I'm the one talking, right? It's probably equally my fault. But we focus on this one day a year, and yet it changed everything. It changed everything as much as, as, much as the crucifixion did. And just, if anybody's questioning, yes, I know today is not Easter. Okay, I, I do realize that, even though I'm talking about the resurrection. I just want to be clear. But a new life would only come through the resurrection. Luke 24, 1 through 12 says that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Well, that's what's happening now. And verse 8 says that then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, to the disciples, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Mary, mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Yeah, there's no way that happened. We all saw him get beat. We all saw him nailed to the cross. We all saw him die. We all saw him taken down. We know he was put into the tomb. We know there was a giant stone rolled in front of it. There is no way that you went there and now Jesus is alive. Okay, maybe somebody took him. Maybe that's why you didn't see him. But we all saw his death. We all know that three days ago it was over. It was finished. It was done. So leave us with this nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. He wanted to see for himself. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Even though Jesus had told Peter what had happened, he still was wondering what would have happened. Even though Jesus told Peter he would deny him three times, and Peter did, he was still wondering if what Jesus said was going to happen had actually happened. Christ defeated death, okay? Christ defeated death so that we may experience that same victory. Christ defeated death so that we may experience that same victory. One of the things that I love most about God is that he tends to go to the extreme to ensure that he can't be questioned. Now, a lot of times because of our lack of faith and our lack of belief and what he can do, we still find ways to do that. But he goes to extreme limits to make sure that we can't question who he is and what it is that he can do. When the Israelites questioned God because they were dying of thirst, 
right? And they asked God, what would you do? Did you just bring us out here to die? What did God do? He brought water out of a rock. He didn't take them to a spring. He didn't show them to a body of water. He didn't make it rain. Moses struck the rock. Out comes water from a rock. If anybody in here can do that, show me after service. Right? Then they're hungry. God, what would you do? You bring us out here in the middle of nowhere to starve. And God says, food out of thin air. Right? Go out in the morning, collect all that you need. It will be there, and it's there. From nothing, there is now something. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go on over to the other side. I'm just going to take some time. I'll be there in a little bit. Does Jesus catch a boat to catch up to them? No. He's like, I'll just walk. Right? And so he's just walking across the water, and they freak out. What is this? And Jesus is like, hey, don't worry. It's me. Walking. Right? Walking. On water. I can't do that. I float really well. I float really well. But I cannot walk on water. And then he's in the boat with them at another time and the storm is raging and they are all freaked out and he's sleeping in the bottom. And they're yelling at him. This is one of those times they rebuke Jesus. Do you not care about us? Do you not see that we are about to die? And I can imagine that Jesus is like, what? Okay, stop. And the storm calms. And the storm calms just like that, at one word. Next time we have the tornado sirens going on, I want all of you to walk outside. Okay? This is not at the advice of the National Weather Service, just so we're clear. But I want all of you to walk outside. I want you to look in the direction of your nearest siren and just say, stop. See what happens. Okay? See, maybe if it happens, call me first thing. That would be awesome. We'll get you doing all sorts of things here. Then Lazarus, right? Lazarus is arguably one of Jesus' best friends, and he gets news that he dies. Jesus shows up four days late, four days later. And yet Christ brings him back. And we're going to talk about why that's significant here in a minute. And then Christ himself was dead, and on the third day, he's risen. It's my firm belief, my firm belief, that three days was chosen for a specific purpose by God, and this is why. In that day and age... In their climate, it takes two to three days for a body to putrefy and to corrupt. It means that things get real nasty. Okay, things get real nasty. Being dead on the third day is like being really dead. Now, I know that sounds kind of funny and kind of crazy, but being dead on a third day is like you are really dead, right? This isn't one of those things where Jesus was in the tomb for like three hours and he's like walking out and everybody's like, he got us. You know, there's none of that stuff. It's like, it's not like Jesus is playing a trick. Like, Jesus has been dead, okay? This isn't some sort of religious trick that they're trying to do to convert us and make us believe. And so Jesus is dead, dead. But it, it's like God is really allowing Jesus to show his power in this instance because he conquered, like, super dead death. Like, he should be smelly death. Like his skin should be falling off of his bones, death. I know that's graphic. But just to give you an idea of what he was fighting here. His body should be rotting. It should be falling apart. It should be foul smelling. And yet he raised himself from the dead. Listen to this about Lazarus. John eleven twenty through 26. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. 
But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now here, to me, is the most important part. Do you believe this? It's a very pointed question. It's almost as if Lazarus raising from the dead depends on it. Do you believe this? See, it's almost like your resurrection from the dead depends on it. Our belief in God's ability to resurrect us from the dead, our belief in God's ability to forgive us of our sins means everything. It's the only way that we obtain it, by putting our belief in Him. Romans 6, 5-6, through six, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. If our belief is there, if the answer to the question, do you believe this, is yes, then not only do we experience, okay, not only do we die with Christ, not only do we experience the death of Christ, but we also experience the resurrection with Christ and the new life that he brings. Christ didn't just overcome death, he defeated it. Okay, I want that to be clear. Christ didn't just overcome death, he defeated it. Overcoming death almost has like this stroke of luck to it. Like Jesus had all these things working against him and somehow he found life. But it's not like that. It wasn't some stroke of luck. It wasn't like God just flipped a coin and it landed on heads and now here's Jesus. He didn't just overcome obstacles. He masterfully and purposefully chose life. And he raised himself from the dead so that we could have that choice as well. Because Jesus chose life, he can give that choice to us. And the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? If the answer is yes, great. The answer is no, we need to talk. We need to talk. Because it's our belief that determines our outcome. God is a good God. Jesus is a merciful Savior. But good and merciful does not equal all the time freely giving. And this is what I mean by this. This is what I mean by this. Is salvation a free gift? You betcha. Is the resurrection a free gift? You betcha. But we can't live our lives however we want doing whatever it is that we want, walking day to day however we want, treating people however we'd like, and expect for God or Christ just to forgive us when we die because they are good and they are merciful. At the end of the day, we have to choose whether or not we believe. And if we believe, then that should drastically affect the way that we live. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. The Greek here implies a forced action. I'm popping. I know that's me. I don't know how to stop it. I'm sorry. Okay? But the Greek here implies a forced action. When we run into Jesus, and when we put our faith and our belief in Him, there is something about Jesus that compels us to change. It forces us to change. We cannot know Jesus. We cannot know the love He has for us. We cannot know what it was that He did for us and not change the way that we live. Yes, His crucifixion and the ability to be forgiven should change the way that we live. But so too should His resurrection. We have something brand new to fight for. We have something that we have not had before. And that is a chance at a brand new life. After two days, He may forgive us. But on the third, He will renew us in a way that we can live with Him once again. But the question is, do you believe this? 1 Corinthians 15, 16, and 17. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Do you believe this? My answer? Yes. Yes. I praise God that Christ is risen. I'm confident that He is alive today, and because that is so, I know that I will experience life again. But I'm also here to tell you that that option is here for each and every one of you. If you believe this. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for what it is that you did for all of us on the resurrection day. Because not only did you offer a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, you brought about a way for us to experience a brand new life. A life that gets to be lived in your presence. A life like nothing that we have ever known. Free of pain and free of sorrow. And all you have to say, all you have to do from our side of things is believe this. Believe that Christ willingly went and died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And that three days later, He raised to life. He chose life so that we all might have that choice as well. At the end of the day, you are a good and merciful God. But we still must choose you. As we approach Easter. And we celebrate all that it means for your son to have been resurrected. God, I I pray that you don't let any of this not sink in for us. I pray that You don't let any of this not change us in some way. Your love is like something that none of us have ever experienced before. At least before You. So God, if people don't know that love, I pray today that they choose to believe. That when they're asked that question, they can say affirmatively, Yes. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.